sin has been dealt with, and Lord, eternal life has been laid before all of humanity. And I pray, Father, for our service today, that it would be service to you. It would be service that glorifies you. It would be service, Father, that remembers what you have done. And Father, your people would worship you because of it. And so just meet us here in this place. Speak to us, guide us in your word. We, got, we ask God just even one more time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's alive. Thank you. He is. And because he's alive, we will be alive as well. Amen. Amen. Well, I welcome you here this morning, everybody who comes every time the doors are open, and our first-time visitors as well. Who's here for the first time? Anybody? Anybody? Who's afraid to raise their hand because you're afraid we're going to jump down your throat? And no, We don't desire to do that, but anyway, we welcome everybody here today. Our theme verse is in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses, um, verses 3 through 4. It speaks of the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ because he lives, we will live also. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's in a living hope? Well, verse 4 explains it. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. The idea here is there's a surety to this. This is a work that God has accomplished, not that man has done. And we've looked at this before, but to have faith is to trust in Christ today. And we need to exhibit faith, saving faith, but trusting faith as well. But to have hope, that's to trust in God for our future. That strengthens our resolve for this day, knowing that my life is hidden with Christ. It's the hope that all the apostles had. They all gave their lives for the gospel. Why? Because they had that great hope that resided within them. I got a little illustration of that in my personal life. Most of you are probably sick and tired of hearing about my apricot tree. (laughs) Most of you know my apricot tree's dilemma. My wife has laid down the law. If it doesn't produce any apricots this year, it's getting cut down. It's going to be whacked. And so it it does this. It it gives off false hope every year. It it comes back to life. It starts sprouting some leaves. And it has some little flowers that will blossom on it. It looks really neat, but it doesn't produce fruit. And so I had a little talk with it. I told it, this is your last chance. This is the last chance you've got. I don't want to kill you, but she's going to make me do this. And so we had this little heart-to-heart, and I was looking at it the other day, and there's these little buds, little bulbs that are on there. There's these little miniature apricots that are... This has been like, I don't remember, five, six, seven years in the making. And and what I'm seeing there is, and and just to tie it in with something spiritual here, (laughs) there's hope. There's hope. 
because there, it's not covered with them, but there's quite a few of these little apricots that are finally starting to grow. And when it produces apricots, I'll bring one in here for you guys to see. You guys aren't going to be able to eat it but it's because it's mine. But nonetheless, there, there's that hope. And the idea with spring and all, there's just hope in this new life as we see, as we see trees and we see our plants and all of this around us just coming back to life. Well, this is what we are celebrating here today is new life. The new life, well, the new life that we have because Christ was resurrected from the dead. And I'm going to go through and remind us once more all that that means, that your hope and your resolve to continue forward in Jesus Christ would be strengthened today. The importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it lends towards the reality of the resurrection of you and I. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, we can have an assurance that we will be raised from the dead as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, speaking of Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, remember first, fruit, first fruits, the first of many more to come. Afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. Now again, looking at this progression of what God was doing, especially as we celebrate it this time of the year. Last Friday, last Friday, day before yesterday, we celebrated the crucifixion of Christ as he took the sin of humanity upon him and dealt with it. And so the problem was all humanity who has ever existed has sinned. Nobody can deny that if you're honest with yourself. The problem with sin, the wages of sin, is death both physical and spiritual, so mankind, so that he would know what was right in God's sight. God gave the law, and the law was given not for works of righteousness, which we would be able to do, because we can't do that. But the law was given just simply so that we would know in the sight of God that we're sinners. It's important to understand. It's important to know. If somebody is sick, there are symptoms of that sickness so that they would know and they would seek help and they would be healed. Well, it's the same thing with sin. And again, this was not done so that man would keep the law because nobody could keep the law, but that we would know that we are sinful. When considering these things, we must remember that an element of the nature of God is that God is just. God is just. And so that opens the door to responsibility to us. Because God could have just came and said, you know what, I just forgive everybody. I just forgive everybody and I'm just going to open the doors to heaven for all of humanity. But that's contrary to the nature of God. Because justice demands that there be a penalty for a breaking of the law. If you leave church today, you get home and you call me and say, Pastor Mike, I need you to pray for me. Well, what do you need me to pray for? Well, on the way home, I was going 80 down Philadelphia and they gave me a ticket. I blew by all the stop signs and they impounded my car. And I'll just say, well, you know what? Pay the fine, pay the impound fees, deal with it because you broke the law. And if you break the law, there's going to be repercussions. Well, the problem in, in this is, is that we can't pay the price. The price is too great. Matter of fact, it will require us for eternity, eternal separation from God. Because again, the penalty, the penalty for breaking the law is to be separated from God. 
But there is only one who could ever pay that price, and that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was through the death of Christ that the anger of God was appeased. And so it's because of this reality, God sent us the Savior that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And, you know, you've heard the arguments before, how could a loving God ever send anybody to hell? Loving God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He said, here's my son. I'll have him pay the price that you should have, been, that you should have had to pay. And if you just believe in him, you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life. But then you have people that sit in the corner and say, no, I don't want to do that. And they'll argue with God, and they argue, humanity argues with God through his unbelief. There's a story, as the Jews were wandering through the wilderness, they rebelled against God, and there was a plague that came with snakes. And God told Moses to fashion this brass or this bronze serpent upon a pole. And if you get bit by a snake, just look upon it. If you get bit by sin, just look upon it. Whoever looks upon it will be saved, will, will be healed. And so those who were bit, they looked and they were healed. But I guarantee you, there was somebody sitting in the corner saying, I ain't going to look at it. I refuse to look at it. I just don't think it's right that I got bit by a snake and that I have to look at that bronze serpent. And guess what happened to them? They died. They perished. And it's the same thing for those who refuse a right relationship with Christ. To those who find comfort in a temporary peace, if you will, in their own intellect, but not in the will of God. And so, spiritual death is forever separated from the presence of God because that's what sin does. It separates as Jesus was upon the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing that eternal separation. And so, God understanding man's plight, he makes the decision to do something about our situation. He sends a representative, and you need to see how Christ fits in in the Jewish culture, at least in this regard. The most honored representative that a man would be able to send would be his son. His son would have the nature and the essence of the Father. Nature of Jesus Christ is holy. The essence is deity. He is God. He would be the one who would rightly and accurately represent the wishes or the plan of the one who sent him. And he would be the one who would be dedicated to the will of the one who sent him as well. And so Jesus Christ isn't a son as we think of a son. It's a son as it is represented. He is a son as it is represented in the Jewish culture in that he is the perfect and the one and only dignitary of a holy God. Matter of fact, he is the image of the invisible God. He is God. In John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40, it says, For I have come down from heaven, Jesus speaking, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up that last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son. How do you see the Son? You see the Son today through the giving of the gospel. You know, I was driving to church this morning. I don't remember, quarter after seven, whatever time it was. And I'm coming down Philadelphia. And I pass Grove, and it's overcast this morning. But then there was this one spot where the sun was shining through. Did you see it, Bertie? <laughs> you got a picture? Well, you should have gave it to me. I could have shown it to everybody. And as we're driving, and the time that I came... It was just illuminated in the area of the church. 
And does that mean anything? I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but God just gives you these little things from time to time. And I'm just thinking in the midst of the gloominess, in the midst of the darkness, there's a wonderful light. Now, what's the light? Because the clouds open up and the sun shone through? No, it's because of the attention that God has for his people. And he expresses himself through the word of God, through the gospel. And it says again here, back in John chapter 6, verse 40, that everyone who sees the Son, we see the Son through the Word of God, and who responds to it, who believes in Him, because there are two responses, it's either belief or unbelief, may have, all those who believe in Him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up on that last day. And so we know that our Redeemer lives. And because our Redeemer lives, we have the opportunity to live as well. And so Jesus Christ, who committed no sin, he was able to take our sin upon him and deal with it. How do we know that he did it? Because he died. The wages of sin is death. But we also know that he overcame sin because he now lives. If he didn't overcome sin, he would have died just as everybody else before him. But death Death could not hold him because sin could not contain him. He received this victory, how great thou art. How great thou art in that you did what we could not do. How great thou art because you have given us eternal life. How great thou art because you have loved us when we were very undeserving of that love. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us that justice is satisfied, that anger is appeased, and although we will one day die in this life, we will awake again to a new reality. The Spirit speaks of these great things to us. He has convicted us of sin because we were separated from God, but that was for the purpose of entering into a right relationship with Him through the gospel, of sin, of righteousness, of the existence of God. All of humanity will worship something. And the idea behind that is is that the Spirit has impressed this upon man that he would seek after the true and living God. And so of sin, of, of righteousness, but also that there's going to be a judgment, that mankind and all humanity is convicted of this, may try to ignore it, may even deny it, but there is that conviction, sin, righteousness, and judgment, that all humanity will need to give an account of their time here on earth. I've read this verse the last couple of services. I read it at the convalescent home yesterday, and I am going to read it again. In Job chapter 19, verse 23, Oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever, that this, there would be a permanence to this. This is what Job is trying to get across from the depths of his trial and his tribulations. He says in verse 25, For I know, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, after I die, I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. If you're a born-again believer here today, if you've experienced the saving relationship with Jesus Christ, oh, how your heart yearns within you. Why does it yearn? Why would it yearn within you? Because you have that living hope. And that living hope has been supernaturally given to mankind by God. And this is what mankind has been clinging to for the past 
2,000 years, and even with the state of belief or disbelief that we have today, it will continue on as long as the Lord tarries. So, if all that I say is true, shouldn't there be physical evidence that shows us the reality of this day that we celebrate? There is obscure evidence, but it's very obvious evidence evidence obscure that it resides within the hearts of men and women in our lives but it should be very obvious to the individual so i what i want to spend the remainder of our service doing is for the born again believer to remind you of these things to remind you that i would strengthen or that god through these things would strengthen your resolve to be obedient to him to strengthen your hope in him and that you would truly trust in him for the future regardless of the trial or tribulation today for the unbeliever for the skeptic today well it's the reality of a testimony because you can tell me all of these things that i have said so far are untrue and you don't believe them and that's your option god gives you that option but you cannot deny what god has done in me or at least what i believe that god has done in me I have seen the reality of God in my personal life and how he has met me and continues to do so. And if I doubt that, is all I have to do is look at the person next to me, my wife. And I've seen the work that God has done in my wife as well. I've gotten a view, third party of my children. My children who've been taught the things of the Lord at times in their lives have rebelled against the things of the Lord and the effects that it has had upon their lives. And I've seen them coming back to the Lord and the things of the Lord. And I've seen the blessings in their lives also. And so what I want to look at is four biblical testimonies of the purpose and of the resurrection that we still see today in the lives of born-again believers. And first, God's purpose and effect of the resurrection is salvation. Salvation. And so what I want to look at, turn in your Bibles if you have them. If you don't, that's okay. I'm going to read it. But to the book of Acts, chapter 28, we have Paul's testimony. Paul was, as he described himself, very religious, really religious. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He dedicated himself to the law, to the word of God. He kept it to the best of his ability. Matter of fact, there was the day when his heart was arrested on the road to Damascus. He felt he was doing God's service by going and killing Christians. And so we are told, we're not going to turn over there, but in Acts chapter 9, as he was on his way, he was breathing threat. And the idea was this has upset him to such a degree that he is going to go and he's going to deal with these people. It's just that seething anger that he had. In Acts chapter 28, verse 12. I'm sorry, I start at verse 16. Let's go to Acts 26. I wrote the wrong reference. I'm thinking, something's wrong, that ain't it. Acts 26. And if anybody's here second service, remind me when I have a confused look on my face again. (laughs) Acts chapter 26, verse 12. While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. 
and when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, Paul's name, if you're unaware of, before his salvation was Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to who now I send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Look at verse 20. But declare first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Repent. Jesus came to preach that doctrine of repentance for forgiveness of sins. It's not about raising a hand or walking down an aisle. It's about a work that God does within our hearts, that we realize the sinners that we are. We realize that there is a God, and we realize that we'll be judged, and so we repent. Repenting by itself is not good enough. That just makes you a sorry sinner. You must turn to God. We'll look at that in a little bit, but turning to God is seeking God out and the way in which he must be found once again through his word and being obedient to the word of God. It says, and do works befitting repentance. What God does on the inside will always be seen on the outside. And so the apostle Paul, once again, a man who was really religious, but in God's sight, religion just doesn't get it. Salvation is not about religion. Paul tried that, and he was empty, and something was missing. A relationship with God is all about that, is a relationship. I can have a long-distance relationship with my wife, but that's not going to get it. We need to have that day-to-day relationship. My grandkids are coming up. I'm looking forward to that because we're able to have that personal time together. And so there's an inherent problem with religion. You can be a Buddhist, but without knowing Buddha. You can be a Muslim without knowing Muhammad. You can be a Mormon without knowing Joseph Smith. You can be a Jehovah Witness without knowing C.T. Russell. You can be a Christian science scientist without knowing Mary Baker Eddy, but it's impossible to be a Christian without knowing, without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the problem with those first five that I missed, or I spoke of, You've got a really big problem because they're dead. Our Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer lives, and He lives for us today, and He lives with us or for us every moment of our lives. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared and that we should walk in them. Secondly, God's purpose and the effect of the resurrection is the removal of doubt. Turn over to John chapter 20, that well-known doubter Thomas. Really, chapter 20 in John this time. Verse 24. Verse 24. 
So Jesus is crucified. This is the very first Easter Sunday, what we're going to be reading about. And what's going on with the apostles? The apostles are in an upper room and they're scared to death. They came and they crucified Jesus Christ and they're of the mindset, we're going to be next. I don't know where Thomas was during this time that we're about to look at, but he was not with everybody else, very obvious here. It says in verse 24, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So earlier that day, Jesus had appeared to everybody else. And he offered them peace, peace in the midst of their tribulation. Thomas wasn't there, but they're telling him about Jesus. Verse 26, a week later, and after eight days, his disciples were... Again inside, and Thomas with them, Jesus came, and the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, notice how his attention is directed to the one with doubt. His attention is directed to the one that needs what he has to offer. He says, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, one of the greatest confessions that are in the Bible, my Lord and my God. Now, even though Jesus told him to put his hands there, we don't see where he put his hands there. He just believed in the word of God because it's not about touching. It's all about hearing and it's all about believing. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. This should even put the debate to rest that can rage in our own mind as far as whenever doubt enters in. Thomas did not need to touch the wounds of the Lord, but his trust in him, his belief was made real through simply the words of God as it is with us. Blessed are you, Thomas, he he says right here, because you have seen me and believed, but blessed are we. Blessed are those who believe today without seeing. See the magnitude of faith as it goes throughout the ages. And because faith increased, believing what had happened so long ago, our trust in God, our our hope in God is sure and steadfast as well. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, for then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've seen a changed life in the apostle Paul, an assured life in doubting Thomas, And then thirdly, God's purpose and the effect of the resurrection is an ear to hear. Turn back one in chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 11. Mary. Mary was there at the cross, Mary Magdalene. She was there at the cross with the Lord. She was at the foot of the cross. Mary looked up into the eyes of her Savior as he was dying. And it had to be the ultimate expression of love that anybody could possibly ever witness. Mary was lost. We're told that she had seven demons at one point. But Jesus came and Jesus released her of that. And so she had an adoration for her Lord, but an appreciation as well. Well, it's the third day now and Passover had just uh, happened and you weren't allowed to do this kind of work on the Passover. In the Jewish culture, they would put a body into the tomb and they would allow it to decompose down to the bones. And then they would take the bones and they would put them in these boxes with the rest of the family. That's where you hear when the Old Testament and then they rested with their, with their fathers. 
But until that time could happen, it's a dead body, it wouldn't smell. So you would come and you would anoint the body, you would prepare it. And that's what Mary was doing. Because of the love that she had for the Lord, she came to prepare the the body. Look at verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. When they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and that made all the difference. Jesus meets us in a personal way. There's that time, I know, when he called my name. He called me in a personal way, and it was undeniable, number one, that it was Jesus, number two, that he was calling me unto himself, and number three, as I heard his voice, that I truly needed to follow him. Mary's heart was open to the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ just simply because he called to her. Previous, John had said in John chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus calls us, and he calls us personal. He calls us in the midst of all that we deal with. He calls us in the midst of what we see going on in our society, in the midst of all humanity. And for those who have an ear to hear, as you follow him, he leads you in the good way. He goes into our hopeless situation and leads us out. God's call to those who are not born again is not so much through a voice, but his call is through a conviction. It's through the knowledge within us as we have that conscience, that ear for the Holy Spirit that tells us that we know that we need to do these things. In my life, when I was in high school, it was the movement of the Jesus people. We, during that time I wasn't saved, we would call them the Jesus freaks. And the Jesus freaks would try and share the gospel with us and they'd speak of the things of the Lord. And I can clearly remember the conviction that was on my heart. And part of my attacking them, part of my mocking them, was to try to mask the conviction that was going on in my soul. I knew that I needed what they had. Why? Because although they were speaking various sections of the gospel and all of that, the main thing that was shining through in all of that was God calling me Mike. Mike. He was calling me to come and to follow him. And so... The Lord's voice, the Lord's voice through conviction is very clear and it's that which we need to submit ourselves to because there is power in this that is undeniable regardless if you're a believer here today or not. I pointed out usually using the Christmas illustration, I'll use the Easter illustration. If I go out into the streets and I tell people they need to repent and come to Jesus Christ, I will be mocked. If I do it in the public schools or if I do it at the city council or whatever, I could even be, end up being arrested. But the thing about it is, society is going to try and silence me. Why? If you don't believe in Jesus, what difference does it make? Now, if I go out in that same society and I start preaching the Easter Bunny, 
And I tell people, you need to come to the Easter Bunny to have eternal life. People, well, maybe they'll mock me, they'll laugh at me, but there's not going to be any vengeance towards me. And you need to see that anger that people have towards the preaching of Jesus Christ. Maybe even anger that people are experiencing right now is because of the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ. The truth and the reality of the cross and the truth and the reality of the resurrection, there's no denying that. And then lastly, God's purpose and the effect of the resurrection is an eternal, eternal call. John chapter 21, verse 22, Jesus said to him, to Peter, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? But the call here is, you follow me. You follow. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Doesn't matter what you have done. It's not about works of righteousness, which we have done. It doesn't matter about anything else in our lives. The focal, main focal point of our lives is that we would follow Jesus Christ. How is it? How do we follow him? There's no man that I go walking after. Well, we follow him in denying ourselves again, to repent of our sins, to no longer live contrary to the word of God, and to keep our life that is separated from the world and keep a life that is dedicated to him. We are to take up our cross. If you recall, Jesus' cross is the place where our sins were nailed. Our cross is where we deny ourselves and we move forward in what he has called us to do. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live. And the idea here is I died on that day and it was no longer according to my will. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives within me. And this life I live in the flesh, Paul would say, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. This life I live in the flesh, he didn't live a perfect life. Nobody can live a perfect life even after salvation, but he lived it in faith, daily faith, in Jesus Christ, that Christ has washed away his sins. Elizabeth Elliot said, So let us carry the cross every day, not in a sense of something we hate to do, but in the sense of something which God is asking us to do and which we therefore determine to do with joy. Next, we follow Jesus by imitating him, imitating Jesus' words and imitating Jesus' manner of life. Those who follow him we'll also have followers of our own. As we imitate Christ, others will follow that imitation. It's righteousness repeated. And lastly, the resurrection, it calls us to live this living hope, that others would see that living hope, that we see the things that we depend upon in this world and in this life, and we see so many things in a society that are deteriorating and that are fading away. We're of the mindset, what's going to happen to this nation? What's going to happen to this world? We have the media with all the global warming, and we've got troops massing in different places in the world, and you look at these things, and what's to become of it all? But it's okay. Christ has overcame these things. Your hope? Your hope was never in this world. Your hope is definitely never in this life. Your hope is in the new life in Jesus Christ. That's where the hope of all of humanity is. It's always been there and it always will. Guess what? Again, it was displayed 2,000 years ago. It ain't going away. 
because truth never changes. Truth never leaves. Truth is always solid. Truth is always real in our lives. Truth will always unabatedly exhibit the reality of what it is. It's always there to be partaken of. And because of the great truths which the gospel has presented, we have this great hope with is in us that we are to display to others, that we are to shout out to all of humanity. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, for this reality. I thank you, Father, for this day, Lord, and just the blessing that it is. I pray for all of those who put so much into it. But, Father, I pray mostly for your word and the power of your word. That God, whenever your word goes out, that mankind would consider himself. Father, I I pray for the believer today. I pray for the person who has repented of his sin and has come to you. And pray, Father, based upon the hope that we have from Jesus Christ, that we would continue to walk strongly. I pray for the believer, Lord, who hasn't been walking with you. I pray for the believer, Lord, who hasn't been faithful, who hasn't been following you. I pray, Father, that today would be the day that they would make that change and they would come back into the calling, Lord, which you have so richly given them. And Lord, I pray even for the unbeliever here today. There's always that opportunity to get right with God. The Lord has told us in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, if you start over with me, I'll start over with you. He's the God of second chances and even so much more. It's the vastness of the grace of God. And so, Lord, once again, as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I pray, Father, that we would all consider where are we at in this? I need to consider myself, that I will continue to walk strongly in Jesus Christ, depending upon his word as well. And I pray, Father, if there's conviction that is necessary in our lives, that you would bring conviction. And I pray, Father, that each person would consider those things. If there's anger there, realize that that's conviction and it's God that is, well, that's your response to the conviction of the Lord. Submit yourself to the Lord. Lord, may there not be any pride, may there not be any arrogance, but bring us to that point, Father, that we would be receptive of these truths. And I'm just going to give this opportunity right now. And you know where you're at with the Lord. You know what God is telling you to do. And so really this invitation is to the person who who knows that he hasn't been living to what the call of God has been in his life. I want to give you an outward opportunity of, of repenting and then also setting this time as moving forward and who God is and what he has called you to do. Or, or maybe you've yet to make that decision for Christ. As I said earlier, this is something that you do within your heart. This is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is to be expressed outwardly as well. And so we're going to give an opportunity for that. Just again, through the simple raising of the hands. Raising of the hands doesn't save you, but it's a witness that cries out that God is real in my life. And so again, as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, this is personal time. If God is prompting you to do so, just, just raise your hand. I see your hand to my right and hand to my left. Again, this is just a reaction to what God is doing within your heart. You're doing so just simply because God has called you to a deeper walk with him. I see your hand to my right. And again, if you are not born again and you realize the sinner that you are and the holiness of God, respond to that. Respond to that. Is there anybody else? If you're in the overflow, you can raise your hand before the Lord as well. 
I want to allow this time to get before you. We see the things that are going on in the world. There were seven churches that were bombed in Sri Lanka this morning. People are dying. These are Christian churches, and the, the attacks are so intense. And again, if this isn't true, why even bother? But the reality of it, it is true. That's how they attack God. Submit yourself to the Lord. Does anybody else need to respond to what God is doing? Just rip, lift your hand up. Take this opportunity. Is there anybody else at all? It's a hard thing to do, but it should be a hard thing to do, having to overcome your flesh. Anybody? Father, you've seen the hands that have gone before you, Lord, and we rejoice in that. Father, we all come before you, Lord, just as empty and just broken, but it's you who fills us and it's you who, God, does that great work. So, Father, we just thank you for this morning. We look forward to our next service, but right now we just pray that you would bless us. I pray, Father, that we would receive of the things that you spoke to each individual here, how you met each person in a personal way, and pray, Father, that they would follow through on the things that you have ministered to their hearts. And so, Father, I lift up those who will be going off into unsaved homes of family or friends, that you would fill them with your spirit and enable them in your word. Lord, I lift up our brother Jim, who's in the hospital today and is having serious heart issues. And then his wife, Dee, was brought into emergency as well, with a possible infection of some sort. And just pray, Father, that you would heal her as well. But God, we just thank you. We thank you that our Redeemer lives and that you give us this living hope. And God, we're able to press forward and be in a right representative of you. And we so look forward to that time when we're in your presence. Oh, how our heart yearns within us, Lord. We just thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? There's going to be somebody up here for prayer after service, and I will be in the back. If you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can speak to that person or you can speak to myself. Um, again, continue to keep Jim and Dee up in prayer. Uh, Jim called me just before service. He believes uh, that Dee has some sort of infection, don't know how serious it is, but just keep them in prayer. They've been through so much. Ladies, women's retreat is coming up, and we're going to have to turn our numbers in. So if you are planning on signing up, we need to get you signed up, whether you can pay now or not. Men's breakfast is coming up on the 4th. And continue to keep the persecuted church up in prayer. Again, seven churches, seven or eight churches this morning were bombed, and many people were killed. And these were people that were celebrating what we have, the freedom and the ability to celebrate here today. God bless you guys. As we close this service, we're actually going to be closing with two songs. Uh, one is Living Hope, and He is Risen. Gives you all a response, uh, an ability to respond to what God has done in your life and just to once again proclaim Him. Yes, sir.